This week, many of you may have seen the story of Rick Sacra uh, coming home. Rick Sacra was, if you're not familiar with one of the missionary doctors that had gone over to West Africa and actually had been going over to West Africa for quite a bit of time to just use his skills as a physician and uh, just the skills that God has given him to help in an area of the world that needed medical care. While he was over there, the reason he garnered so much attention this time was because while he was over there in West Africa, he contracted the Ebola virus. And you may have seen in the news that there's been a few American uh, doctors, uh, mostly missionary doctors, who that happened to, contracted the virus, and there were you know, a lot of controversy about flying them back and getting them back in the country and how to, how to deal with all of that. Samaritan's Purse with Franklin Graham was... Uh, very involved and instrumental in getting the, the right kind of air, aircraft that would quarantine them and be able to get them back. And, and Rick Sacra uh, came back, and he actually went to a hospital in Nebraska and was treated there. And then this week, uh, maybe you saw the news coverage, he came home, uh, came in to, to Logan Airport flying, and, and it was con, you know, declared uh, you know, free of the virus, or at least completely free of it possibly being contagious, if not completely erased from his body, but free of, uh, of the virus. There's no known cure for it. And he came home and was able to be with his family. He said, praise God, hallelujah, Rick's a, a, a strong Christian. Uh, I know the church that he attends. I know the pastor at the church that he attends here in Massachusetts. And I saw his pastor on the news a few weeks back talking about Rick's commitment to faith and, and how every year he goes over to West Africa to use his, his skills as a physician to, uh, to be a blessing, to help where help is needed. And yet this time he went and he's in the news because he contracted this incurable disease and virus. And I don't know all that went on when Rick found out about this, but knowing his faith and knowing his faith in Christ and the people around him that have faith in Christ, I am fairly quite certain that there were people praying for his healing and that there were people praying that God, that he would instantly touch him and heal him and make him well and deliver him from this virus. I'm sure the minute that he found out that there were loved ones, there was a church family, and that there were people praying for his healing and his deliverance. And God didn't do it. I'm sure there were people saying, you know, God, this would be, and thought that it would be completely the right thing to do for God, right? I mean, such a God thing, right? I mean, heal this incurable disease, this incurable virus, this thing that we don't have a vaccine for, we don't have any way, we don't have any way to treat it, and if God would heal it, it would bring so much glory to God, so much attention, and why wouldn't God do that? And yet he didn't. And he had to fly back to this country and quarantined and be treated with a lot of experimental medications. And, and they worked. God used that. And, and, he, and he is free of the virus. Praise God for that. But I still think there may have been questions from people, believers around him perhaps, that would say, why didn't God just heal him? But maybe even from those who would not be believers, who, who do not follow Jesus, and would even say, what good is your God? In your time of need, in your time of deepest and darkest trouble, you had medical treatment and everything else that was, that was used. Why didn't your God come through in that moment? 
Why didn't your God heal you? And I wonder if there are sometimes things that you might face in your life and you're asking and you think this would be such a God thing. I mean, this is just so like God. God should just fix this because it would be good for God, good for me, good for, you know, this would be, and he, and he doesn't. And I wonder if you come to the question of why not? Or if other people around you, you know, that you're hoping would come to Christ and say, if they just saw God do this in my life, I know they believe. And, and God doesn't answer in that way. And you say, well, why not? Sometimes God takes his time, and sometimes that raises a lot of questions. I want to talk to you this morning about when God takes his time. We come to one of the most unique miracles in Scripture this morning in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. We are, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks and uh, maybe you missed the summer, I'm not skipping over the entire chapter of Mark chapter 8. I know we were in chapter 7 last week, but over the summer, Marvin Thomas already preached on that section of Mark chapter 8 because he connected the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and so if you want to hear about that part of Mark chapter 8, go back this summer and listen to Marvin's message. He did a great job. So I'm jumping down to chapter 8, verse 22 this morning, to one of the most unique miracles in the ministry of Jesus. Actually, all three of the miracles we've looked at the last three weeks have had some unique components to them, and this one's no different. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 says, Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. But once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything Clearly, Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. There are at least three things that are completely unique about this miracle story of Jesus that don't happen in any other healing or any other miracle that Jesus does. One is Jesus asks, do you see anything? He asks, did it work? Nowhere else in scripture does Jesus ask this. Anytime he heals someone else, the person gets up and walks, the person sees, the person hears, and it's, it's evident. Or even when he does a miracle at a distance, like we saw a couple weeks ago with the deliverance of the woman's daughter of a demon, he said, go home, the demon is gone. There was no question of did it happen? Jesus knew it happened. This is the only time in the ministry of Jesus that he basically asks, did it work? Do you see anything? It's also the only time in the ministry of Jesus that we see a partial healing. Every other time that someone is healed, they're completely healed at that moment. It's the only time in Jesus' ministry that someone is partially healed. And it's also the only time in the ministry of Jesus that he touches someone a second time to complete the healing. Every other time, it happens in an instant. So what's going on here? What's happening? It certainly can't be because he wasn't able to do it. I mean, he didn't have to touch someone twice. He didn't even have to touch someone once. He could have spoken a word, and he didn't even have to speak a word. Remember the time the woman came and grabbed the hem of his garment and was instantly healed? He doesn't need to speak a word. He doesn't need to say anything for someone to be healed. And yet he not only speaks and touches the man's eyes, 
asks him to was healed. He touches him once and he touches him twice. And my question is, why does Jesus have to touch him twice? Why is it that this man had to go through this process? Why does God sometimes take his time? Why does God sometimes take his time when he doesn't have to? Certainly the one who created beauty and everything beautiful that we see and take in, the one that created the body and the eye, does not need two touches or anything like that to recreate sight in the eye. Certainly the one who can speak planets into being doesn't need to touch someone twice in order for them to be healed. So why? Why does God sometimes take his time? Maybe you've asked the question in your life. Sometimes you think, well, this is what God would want. I mean, obviously, everyone knows Jesus wants this guy to see, but he takes his time. And maybe you thought, well, obviously, Jesus wants me, you know, to be healed. He doesn't want this disease on me, or, or maybe God wants me. You know, he doesn't want me stuck in this place I've been stuck in, so why doesn't he just deliver me? Why doesn't he just deliver me out of it? I think there's at least two answers to that question in this, in this instance and in many really when we take a step back from the broader, take a broader look at scripture, I think there's at least two answers to that question. The first one is this. I think sometimes God takes his time for our benefit. I think sometimes God takes his time with us in order to benefit us. Because he is working something within us that we don't even know that we need or even want at the moment. Sometimes God is developing faith and trust in you that will only come if he takes his time. Think about it. If you had everything you asked God for, the instant you asked for it, why, when would you ever learn to trust through a difficult time? When would you ever learn to trust and have faith in him and in nothing else through a difficult time if we had everything from God the moment that we asked of it and he was like some cosmic Santa Claus instead of being God? And so sometimes I think God takes his time really for our benefit to grow a faith muscle within us, to grow a trust muscle within us because he is working something within us that will come out in no other way than we learn to trust him in a way we haven't had to in the past. And so sometimes you'll have to walk through a difficulty like you've never walked through before, and you'll learn in that time to trust and have faith in God. I think it's, sometimes God takes his time and it benefits us by building up our prayer life. And if you've got something that you're desperate for in your life, maybe it's someone you love. Sometimes it's not even yourself. I think often it's not ourselves, right? I think often our prayer life is developed even more when there's someone we care for and someone we love who's going through a difficult time. If you're a parent, maybe it's a child. If you're a child, maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's a friend, a sister, a brother, and you just want to do something, but you can't do anything but hit your knees in prayer. And you find that in those moments, your prayer life is built up like no other time in your life. And sometimes... God takes his time because he wants to 
benefit us and build up our prayer life because he's building something far more uh, complicated and valuable than takes a moment. You can build something made out of plastic in a minute, but building a diamond takes pressure and time. And it's like that in your life. God knows that at times pressure and time are needed to make you into the man of God or the woman of God that he knows you can be and he desires and he wants you to be. And so many times, I think God takes his time to benefit us. In this situation, I don't know this man's story. It's, you know, he pops on the scene and pops off the scene. So if something was going on in this man's life that Jesus, you know, did this two-stage healing for his benefit, I can't be sure because this is the only time we see him as far as we know. He's here. He's healed. We have four verses on him, and we never hear from him again. So I don't know. Perhaps there was something very individual and very unique that Jesus was doing, and it was a grace to this man so that he would understand and know the love of God in a greater way. I do know that in your life, there'll be times when you will ask God for something, and he will take his time in bringing it and answering it so that you can be built up and so that you can mature. Uh, We understand this concept maybe in other places in our lives. I think about an inheritance that's left to a child. Um, When Princess Diana was killed in 1997, she had left an inheritance to William and Harry. It was over $20 million in inheritance. But she had a, a, a stipulation in her will, in her trust, that they couldn't touch the money until they were 30 years old. And it wasn't until William turned 30 in 2012 that he received any of that money from his mother who had died in 1997. Why why, why would someone do that? Why why would you put that stipulation in there to say that here's all this money, but you can't have it until you turn this age? He could have died before reaching that age. But there was something in her, and I think often in parents, that says, you know what, you will learn more in those years if you don't have this money yet. There will be lessons you will learn. There will be maturities that will come about in your life that you will not learn if you get this blessing and this gift right now. So you need to wait for it. And I think God knows the same thing with us, that there is an inheritance. There are blessings that God has for us. And yet at times he says, you know what, you need to wait Because you will mature and you will grow and you will learn to trust and your prayer life will grow and you will walk deeper with me than you ever have if you have to wait. That's not always easy to hear. And yet I think it's often what God has to say to us at times. That sometimes God takes his time and it's for our benefit. Because he's not so much interested in just building something that's only going to stand for a day or be blown away by the wind. He's interested in building you into a man of God and a woman of God who will stand through trials and difficulties and whatever may come your way. And that's not going to happen, sometimes apart from a process. So sometimes God takes his time to benefit you. But sometimes I think God takes his time to benefit others, those around you. It's possible, I think very likely, that Jesus went through this process not so much for the benefit of the man himself, but for the benefit of those who are watching. 
Now, who was watching? Really, it was probably just the disciples because it says Jesus took them away from the, from the village. He took them away from all the people. It's interesting to me that Jesus would do that. He could have healed them right there in that moment, but he led him away from the village, and it's really just Jesus and his disciples that watched this very unique miracle where he touches him twice, where he asks him if he's healed, I think it very may have been for the benefit of the disciples who previously, just in the passage before, Jesus said, look, feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000, we did it twice and you still don't understand. Or the passage that's coming next where Jesus will say, yes, Peter, you got it right. I'm the Messiah, but you're not fully seeing. You're still a little bit blind about what that means. And so you need a second touch to understand clearly what that means. And I think Jesus, Jesus is really giving a lesson to the disciples that you see, but you don't clearly see. You see something, but you don't know completely what you're looking at, and it may take a second touch to really know. Sometimes God takes his time and goes through the process, I think, for the people around us. And that may be hard to hear, but I believe it's true in your life and in my life that at times you'll go through a difficulty and it may have very little to do with you, although God will use that, but it may have much more to do with the people around you. That perhaps to encourage the believers and those followers of Christ who are watching you walk through that difficulty. And there's few things that have ever been as encouraging to my heart than to walk into a hospital room and, you know, walk in and I walk in and you never know which, you know, what state the person's going to be in when you walk in and so you walk in or kind of, I walk in kind of neutral, right? I don't know which way is this one going to go, right? But you walk in and, and, uh, and you want to be compassionate to the situation and yet hopeful to what God is and, and to walk in and see a saint that has trusted God all their life be able to say, you know, I'm in God's hands and I'm trusting the Lord, whatever may come and you don't have to worry about me, I'm ready. And that encourages me, and I'm not the one in the hospital. I'm walking out of the hospital, and I think, well, they're more excited and encouraged than I am, and I'm walking out. There are a few things more encouraging maybe to other believers around you than when they see you walk through a difficulty with your eyes upon the Lord, trusting him. You know, when we come in here and we share fellowship with one another on Sundays, I hope that at some point we get to the place where we're a little more real with each other than, you know, what the weather's like and what the local sports teams did or the weekend before or whatever. I hope at some point you're sharing life with each other and that when we do, we're sharing what's really going on and that there are difficulties and yet God is good and God is real and he walks with us through them. And we don't have to put on a false front, but we get, you get to that place where you can trust God through whatever may come. That there is a deep abiding faith that God has worked in you. Because let me tell you, there are young Christians here. And I don't mean just the ones that are, you know, below this height. There are young Christians here who need to see those of you who have been walking with the Lord a little longer. Trust him through difficulty. Because some of us, I like what Matt Batterson says, some of us have been following Jesus for 25 years, and we're not a 25-year-old Christian. We're the Christian that's a one-year-old Christian doing the same thing for 25 times over again. 
I mean, you've got to grow and mature and go deep with the Lord. And then those Christians that just start to follow Christ can look at you and be encouraged when they face a difficult time. Because you could say, let me tell you about the time that God took me through. And what you may be walking through may have very little to do with you, but has more to do with those around you or someone you will meet down the road that's going to need to hear your story. Someone that comes down with a diagnosis of cancer and needs to hear the story about how God healed you and took you through that. Someone whose marriage is falling apart and needs to hear you encourage them and talk about how God has touched your life and restored what was broken. I don't think God wastes those times in our lives. I think he uses them. And so it may be that that God is walking you through the process and God is taking his time for the benefit of believers around you to be encouraged and built up in their faith to say, if they're walking through that, I can walk through this. That if they walk through that, I can walk through this. I think that's why in the scriptures, God gives us an account, not only of the high points of the people's lives in scripture, but the valleys too. So that when I'm in a place going, when is this going to end? I can look to Genesis and look at Joseph's life and see him wrongfully imprisoned for two years and yet still trusting God and saying, if he goes through that, I can go through this. If he dealt with being wrongfully accused of something, I can walk through this difficulty. I can read through the pages of Scripture And I can see men like Elijah who walked through a famine and how God provided and said, if he walked through that famine in the whole country and God took care of him, then I can trust God through my situation. God puts these men and women in Scripture, maybe a couple who is just longing to be parents, and you come to the pages of Scripture and you say, if Hannah would come and cry out at the the altar asking God to... to to allow her to be a mother and to open up her womb, I can trust God through my situation too. If Jesus, as our Lord, and really our ultimate model of how to live life, can go to the cross with men spitting on him who he's dying for, then Lord, I can go through what you have me to go through with your Holy Spirit that lives within me. If the disciples could be whipped for their faith and yet still sing worship songs that I can go through, what God, where you have me. It may be that God is taking his time in your life and it has very little to do with you and much more to do with those around you or who will one day be around you. You know, I think about what's going on in our world right now, and many of you are hearing the reports of what's going on at many Christians in Iraq, in Syria, and and I ask that you would uh, pray, that we would be praying for them. But here's Christians who, it's not back in Bible times, it's yesterday. It's, It's going on, being martyred for their faith given the choice of uh, abandoning their faith or abandoning their life, choosing to stay faithful to Jesus, trusting that God will be faithful to them even in death. And I look at that and I say, God, I can walk through whatever you might have me walk through. That it may be that what God walks you through has more to do with those around you than anything else. And so we have to have that perspective. But it's not just for the encouragement of believers. I think those around you that don't know Christ, 
are watching how you will walk through a difficult time. Will you abandon your God when he doesn't answer the way you want him to? Will you walk away when you don't get what you want? When you and I walk through a difficulty and trust God through something that we would prefer not to walk through, given, that, given our choice, when we stick with God, even the greatest skeptic has to at least take note. And maybe they might think, well, you're just crazy. But if they know you, and they say, well, no, they're not crazy. I know them. They seem to be a pretty level-headed person, and yet they're still trusting God through what is a very difficult and trying situation. They're still trusting their God. Somehow they're still hanging on to their faith in God. And I think even the skeptic stands up and takes notice of something that's going. They may not believe, but they believe that you believe. And maybe that's really what's important. They may not believe, but they better believe that you believe what you say you believe. They better believe that I believe what I say I believe. And so sometimes God takes his time so that maybe the skeptic can stand up and take note that the people of God are not there just to get what we want or what God can give us, but we are there because he is God. And they stand up and they take notice of that. Sometimes God takes his time. Sometimes it's to benefit you. Sometimes it's to to the benefit of others. I think it's always for his glory. One way or the other, he will gain glory for himself out of the situation. But here's the final thing, and let's not miss this. Sometimes God takes his time, but he always finishes the job. Sometimes God takes his time, but he always finishes the job. See, he touched him twice, but he saw clearly after that second touch. He touched him twice here, but after he touched him again, he walked away seeing completely clearly. I love Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And the trust is that God may take his time, but he finishes the work and he finishes it well. He doesn't do anything halfway. He doesn't let the man walk away saying, well, trees are better than nothing. <laughs> he finishes the job and he finishes it well. And you and I can trust that. Does that mean you're going to get everything you ask for this side of heaven? Nope. You guys are too smart to believe that because you know that. You've seen it through Scripture. You don't think those people who are martyred for their faith cried out that God would spare them? And that prayer was not answered on this side of heaven, but their inheritance was received when they passed through that door of death. That was their trust and faith. Does not mean that God is going to give us everything we ask for. It does mean he will be faithful to the promises he has given to us. That even through death, we can trust that we have nothing to fear and that our faith is in God and God alone. He finishes all things well. The waiting develops something within us that, uh, that no other thing can. This quote from Henry Nouwen says, Waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about him 
for whom we are waiting. And I think God is often working that within us, and we often have to wait, but God finishes the work. Finishes the work well. The words of David in Psalm chapter 13 come to mind. I know it's, words are small there. I want to get it on one screen for you. The Psalm chapter 13 reminds me of this healing and the fact that sometimes we wait. It says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Nothing has changed in his circumstances by the end of that psalm and from the beginning of that psalm, but he affirms that when God takes his time, I trust that he is at work and that he is good and that he is working and that he loves me. And see, when God takes his time, it doesn't mean he stopped working. It often means the exact opposite, that he is working on something that you didn't even know you needed to work on in your life, that you didn't even know you needed to be prepared for five or ten years down the road, that God is at work building and making something in your life bigger than what you and I could even ask for. And so David says, I rejoice in your salvation. I will sing of the praise for God has been good to me. Nothing's changed except his perspective. But there's a God of the process who's at work. I read a um, story this week of, uh, I guess it's kind of a proverbial story. I don't think it's a true story, but it brings across a truth that I think applies the, this morning. It was about a, a young man who was living on the border. It was in China, living on the border of a, a country in China. And he was, um, had a horse that uh, he would ride and that he had, his family horse. And, and one day his horse ran away. And the um, horse ran away and every, all his friends and his neighbors came around him and said, we're so sorry, we're sorry, you know, that this happened. This is such bad luck. This is a tragedy. This is terrible. Your one horse you had, this was, you know, a source of joy and income has run away and we're sorry for that. And his dad said to this young man, he said, how do you know this is not a blessing? And later on, the horse came back. And when he came back, it came back with a companion of, uh, of a stallion that came with this horse that was so much greater and, and bigger than the other horse. And this horse ended up being something this boy would ride and use for income. And it was an incredible blessing to this boy's family. And all his friends and neighbors came by to rejoice. What a wonderful thing it is that this horse came back with this stallion. And his father said, how do you know this is not something terrible? And one day the boy fell off the stallion and broke his hip. And he permanently injured himself. And all his friends and neighbors came by and said, oh, we're sorry. This is awful. You know, how terrible for you that you fell off your horse and that you're permanently injured, permanently handicapped for life. How terrible for you. And his dad said, how do you know this is not a blessing? 
And not too long after, this man's country went, this young man's country went to war with another, uh, with another country just over the border. And all the able-bodied young men had to go off and fight, and many were killed. But this young man lived out the rest of his days taking care of his father and his father taking care of him. And we try so hard to read the tea leaves sometimes, don't we? We try so hard to figure out what God is doing. And we try so hard to put the label on that this is a blessing, this is a curse, this is good, this is bad. But we so often miss the big picture of what the master creator and potter is making. And so when God takes his time, he hasn't abandoned you. The work hasn't stopped. In fact, he may be doing more work than you ever thought and you could even ask for. God takes his time. It doesn't mean he's not at work. In fact, it might mean the exact opposite. Rick Sacra came home this week. And he gave praise. If you saw the, the, you know, I watched it right on Fox News, Fox 25. He gets off the plane and says, praise God, I'm home. And I don't know why God didn't heal him in an instant, but I know God's at work. And it may be that God uses this as an even greater platform because of what God did. It may be that three Americans coming home or three with Ebola draws more attention to something in West Africa that maybe America would have been ignoring instead of addressing, that maybe God uses that to say, you know what, you've got an abundance of riches when it comes to medical technology and things that can help, and we need those over here. And it may be that Rick Sacra and his life was part of God working out a bigger plan to help some of those families that are losing 3,000 people to a disease. And it may be that we can help. And so we don't always know what that plan is that God is working. But just because God is taking his time doesn't mean God's not at work. And so this man went through a process, and I don't know entirely why Jesus chose to touch him twice, but I know that God is often working us through a process, and sometimes it's from our benefit, sometimes it's for someone else's, it's all for his glory, but I know he'll finish the work, and he'll finish it well. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you that you are the master potter, Lord, I thank you that you are the one that finishes the work that you begin, that you are the one that just completes what you start, and I thank you that it's your work. Father, one of the most comforting things to me about that verse is that he who began the work will complete it. Not me, not us. You complete the work. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning recognizing that there's so much more work to be done in our lives. And we often think we know what you should be doing. But would you help us this morning, Lord, to come before you in faith and in trust that you are doing the more important work and that even through difficulty and even through hardship, even when we aren't getting what we want or what we even think should happen, that we would put our faith and our trust in you. Would you help us to live that way before the world around us? 
that they would see our faith and our trust in our God. Amen. Would you stand and we're going to spend some time in prayer as we close out our service this morning. Our elders will be coming forward to pray with you and perhaps you have a need in your body that you'd like to pray for. You know, don't miss the fact that Jesus healed this man and Jesus still heals today. And maybe you have come forward once before but you got to come forward a second time. I don't know why. I just know God works through the process. And maybe you come forward a second or a third time, and maybe this morning will be the morning that God extends that healing touch to you. Maybe this morning will be the morning that God answers that prayer that you've been asking. Maybe this morning will be that time where Jesus brings that second touch and brings healing to you. And so if that's you, come forward and pray. And these elders are here to pray with you. They'll pray with you in the midst of that. But perhaps you're also here and you say, you know what? I've been facing a difficulty and a hardship. And it's been difficult to trust the timing of God. And maybe this morning you've just got to spend some time in prayer. You do that where you're standing. You can come to the altar and kneel and, or stand and just spend some time saying, God, I want to trust your timing. Would you help me to trust that you are at work in a greater way than I can possibly understand? And so let's spend some time worshiping, praying, and seeking.